0: As we read our Bible, sometimes we get what's called a prophetic preview or a double prophecy. When Daniel wrote his famous book, he gave us a prophecy about a coming world leader that would arrive some 400 years after Daniel wrote. His name, Antiochus Epiphanes. He foreshadows the coming Antichrist. Many incredible parallels, both prophetic to Daniel's time, the coming Antichrist, future to our time, We'll learn more about this intriguing prophecy today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, you all know that Daniel begins to unfold from about 605 B.C. into the 500s. And Daniel probably lived till he's about 90. So the book of Daniel is written about in that timeline. You could say in the 500s B.C. Anybody know when the book of Isaiah was written? About 700, somewhere in there, is most of the scholarship. How long is that before Daniel's time? At least 100 years, 150 years. How long is that before Persia and Greece become world empires? Pretty long time. Uh, The Persian ruler, of course, is dominating um, as history unfolds. But we're moving now, you know, into the early 500s, into the 400s. Isaiah is written in 700. Take a look. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Isaiah 45, verse 1. The Lord says to who? To Cyrus, his anointed, whom I've taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him, loose the loins of kings to open doors before him or to open double doors before him. New King James. So the gates will not shut. By the way, when um, Cyrus took down Babylon, he had to go through double doors, which were part of the gates of Babylon's defensive moat They were not shut when Cyrus captured Babylon. Uh, By the way, God named Cyrus in a prophecy in Isaiah 45.1. Hundreds of years before he's ever born. Can you imagine? You become the Persian leader. Somebody says, hey, you ever read the Bible before, Cyrus? There's a chapter about you. (laughs) Where? Where is it? I'd like to know. It's Isaiah 45. God... Calls you by name. Can you imagine that? Now, some people have thought that their name was in the Bible. These have been people in history that have been a little bit off. In fact, I will tell you that the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, wrote his own chapter in his version of the Bible. I guess it's convenient when you can write your own chapter about yourself in a, a book that you call the Bible. But if you add to the word of God or take away from it, what happens to you? You're in deep trouble. Joseph Smith did that. Mormons need to know that. Joseph Smith wrote his own chapter in his so-called Joseph Smith translation. And that doesn't fly. And he's, he's already stood before God and had to give an account for that. And so I will go before you, says the Lord, and make... The rough place is smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze. Most believe a reference to the Babylon, 100 gates of bronze in Babylon. Cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. The treasures of darkness is an allusion to the fabled wealth of Sardis captured by Cyrus in 546 B.C., Cyrus did not know the Lord personally, but he understood that the Lord had appointed him, used him as a vessel, and even calls him by name before he was ever born. But notice, Bible students, for the sake of who? Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name, and I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is... No other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I am the one that forms light, creates darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Very fitting that the Lord would say this. In light of Israel's great times of trial, Who was behind them? Who used Babylon to discipline his people? God. Who used Cyrus? By the way, when Cyrus, if you turn back to the book of Daniel, took uh, peoples captive because he dominated the world, he was relatively kind to them, and he is the one behind allowing the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple. In fact, he gives them the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took to go back to uh, uh, Israel, to Jerusalem specifically. And so Persia is prophesied about. Do you guys understand how significant this is? Your Bible has just predicted things hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. World empires, leaders by name. Do you know of any other book on the planet that does that? There are none. This is it. And this is how we know that the Bible is the word of God. It's one of the ways that we know. Now we're going to move from the ram to the shaggy dog. Everybody look at verse five. Oh, no, it says, I'm, I'm sorry, it's a shaggy goat. I was thinking of a movie. Wasn't there a movie? Anyway, while I was observing verse five, behold, a male goat or a shaggy goat, verse 21, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment, was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous Conspicuous or prominent or notable horn between his eyes. Now, if you skip down to verse 20, verse 20, and you may say, Pastor Michael, you confidently make these assertions about who you think these world empires, it's just a ram and it's a goat and a shaggy one at that. What in the world? How do people know who these are? Well, look at verse 20 of the same chapter. The ram, which you saw with the two horns, represents the kings of Media and Persia. And the shaggy goat (laughs) represents who? The kingdom of Greece. Now, do you guys see why liberal scholars can't handle that the book of Daniel could be written in the 500s, moving into close to 600? Because when does Greece dominate the world? I think Alexander the Great, it's in the 330s B.C., How can Daniel have this information? He's a a Jewish man as a captive in Babylon. Where does he know this kind of stuff? Unless he is getting revelation from the God of heaven who's outside of time and who controls history because history is his story. Do you believe that? I don't think I have to be terribly convinced other than to try to use slippery gymnastics or hermeneutical gymnastics or to try to redate the book, because if I don't believe in miracles, then I have to redate this book. Because this is predicting history in advance. This is talking about the Medo-Persian and Grecian Empire before they ever really either exist or dominate. How can that be? Because the Bible is divine. All scripture is what? It's inspired by God, and it's profitable. So the shaggy goat was coming from the West. From the West comes a, one that looks like he didn't even touch the ground. Moved so quickly, dominated so rapidly. Who's that, Bible students? It's Greece. Alexander the Great. He watched, Daniel watched a powerful ram, another animal representing a kingdom, a male goat from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. He's the first king, Daniel eight twenty one. 21. Alexander the Great quickly conquered the known world. It seemed like his feet didn't even touch the ground, says one writer. Alexander launched his attack against Persia in 334 B.C. By 332 B.C., he had essentially subdued the Persian Empire. Under Xerxes, Persia uh, intended to move west, but from the west came This fast moving goat, Alexander, the great son of Philip, King of Macedon, founder of the Hellenistic Empire. Born in 356 BC, ascended the Macedonian throne in 336 BC, so he's very young, advised by his teacher Aristotle that he could rule the world if he could make people adopt the Greek culture. Alexander extended the empire east from Greece around the Mediterranean Sea to Egypt, then to the borders of India. He died in 323 BC at the age of 33. Some say after all night drinking binge, some say in an attempt to rebuild Babylon against God's will, uh, maybe both. And so his kingdom came to a quick end. And I've told you before that there are stories of Alexander beating on his bed because he had no more kingdoms to conquer And so he was was sad. What am I going to do now? Right? That was Alexander the Great. Your Bible is telling you world history. Or world history is catching up to your Bible. is really how we should look at it. And so Alexander um, the Great encouraged the Jews to settle in a place called Alexandria. Alexandria, Egypt, is where we know the writing of the Septuagint happened. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament completed about 250 B.C. Alexander the Great brought a common language to the known world called Koine Greek or Common Greek. What's the New Testament written in? You're new to the Bible and you hear Pastor Michael say, and the Greek word is, and you're like, why is he telling us Greek words? Who cares? It's all Greek to me anyway. (laughs) Because everything, haven't you seen... My big fat Greek wedding. Everything comes from the Greek. (laughs) And the Lord used Alexander the Great to bring a common language. Do you remember in the book of Acts in chapter 6, verse 1, there's a fight between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Do you know how that happened? Because many Jews, when Alexander began to dominate the known world, embraced Hellenism. What is Hellenism, you ask? It is Greek culture, and all that goes with it, the Greek You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first... We are entering the holiday season, and more specifically, Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkingtruth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. You're new to the Bible and you hear Pastor Michael say, and the Greek word is, and you're like, why is he telling us Greek words? Who cares? It's all Greek to me anyway. Because everything, haven't you seen my big fat Greek wedding? Everything comes from the Greek. And the Lord used Alexander the Great to bring a common language. Do you remember in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, verse 1, there's a fight between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Do you know how that happened? Because many Jews, when Alexander began to dominate the known world, embraced Hellenism. What is Hellenism, you ask? It is Greek culture and all that goes with it the Greek language, the Greek religion, Greek philosophy. And the like. God used a time in history where the Greeks brought in a common language and the Romans began to build, as they dominated the world, because you move from Greece to Rome in world empires, they began to build Rome, uh, Rome began to build bridges and roads to lead all over the known world, which allowed for what? You get the Apostle Paul saved, who, by the way, is trained in. Jewish rabbinic schools, but he also speaks Greek. And Paul gets a knapsack, gets saved and begins to travel the known Roman world to preach what? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Goes goes all over the Roman world. How does he do that? Because roads and bridges were developed by Rome. And Rome ruled with an iron fist, but they had something called the Pax Romana, which which meant they enforced. It was peace by force. Peace with an iron fist. And in that world, the Apostle Paul and others go and they begin to preach the gospel. And that's, by the way, the seeds of how the gospel ends up on the American shores and really anywhere else in the world. It's because early missionaries began to spread the gospel and take the Great Commission seriously. And so he came up, verse 6, Daniel 8, to the ram that had the two horns, the Medo-Persian empire, this goat with the one horn, the horn, the one horn is Alexander, dominant world ruler, which I had seen standing in front of the canal and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. He was an angry goat. (laughs) And I saw him come beside the ram and he was enraged at him. And he struck the ram and shattered his two horns. And the ram had no strength to withstand him. Now remember, Daniel's having a vision. So he hurled him to the ground, trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. As Daniel sees the animals kind of cross the screen, if you will, he sees this goat, the shaggy goat, this next world empire, take the ram with the two horns and begin to throw it to the ground and beat it into a pulp. And, you know, if you're having a dream like this, you're like, whoa, Daniel's got to be a bit rocked. And it's a picture of Greece defeating the Medo-Persian Empire. He hurls it to the ground. The ram, he shattered its two horns. The ram had no strength to withstand him. He hurtled him to the ground, trampled him down, none to rescue. And then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. But as soon as he was mighty, remember when Alexander dominated the world, it was quick and he was young. As soon as he was mighty, the large horn, Alexander here, was broken. And in its place, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Now, if you've been with us for a while, or if you've studied this, you know that when Alexander died, he had no male heirs. No male heir. And so, because of that, his four generals divided up his kingdom because they weren't as strong as him. By the way, Alexander had two sons, both of which were murdered. Because when dad died, there was no one to protect the sons. And if you were... Looking for power and influence. What did you do in the ancient world? You killed someone who could get the throne so you could get it for yourself. And since Alexander died potentially in a drinking binge, he wasn't there to protect his kids and others vying for power killed his children. And this is a lesson to us about, you know, we we make decisions. uh, I'm going to do this and that. And, you know, for for Alexander, apparently it was alcohol, an all-night binge that cost him his life. What broke the large horn? Well, Alexander really broke himself. He wasn't really defeated by an army. He was defeated by his flesh. How many families do you know? How many individuals do you know? It wasn't an army. It wasn't though someone did it to them. They did it to themselves. Sadly, in a broken world, right? Where some of us standing here tonight, sitting here tonight, are grateful that we're still here. Amen? Some of you can relate to this. I I had a couple moments in my BC days when I was amazed that I am still on the planet or some of my friends. But we won't go there tonight. (laughs) Look at the United States. Will immorality take the U.S. down? What's, what's our major battles right now? A lot of them are moral issues, right? Well, Alexander began to dominate the world. He brought Koine Greek. Rome brought the roads, the bridges, the Pax Romana. And God used it all because God is sovereign over history. Now we're going to be introduced to something interesting called the man of intrigue. Look at verse 9. And out of one of them, one of the four, the generals, came forth a rather small or a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful or glorious land. That's the land of Israel. After Alexander's death, his kingdom was divided, as I mentioned. This horn, by the way, is not the same as the little horn of chapter 7. There is a prophetic far fulfillment, which we'll talk about. But the horn of chapter 7 comes f- from the fourth beast empire, which is Rome. And just so you are clear, there is... Many who believe that the fourth empire will have another future aspect to it, a revived Roman Empire, if you will, the Ten Toes, I've explained that to you. So you just don't get confused that it ends with Rome. There's a future uh, dimension of that final beast empire or kingdom. Whether it's a revived Roman Empire, I don't know, but it'll have, it's a composite or there will be elements of all these kingdoms, which we saw in Revelation 13 as we studied so, this is not the same horn as the previous chapter. It's a small horn coming out from Greece, from one of the four that came from the one main one, Alexander. And indeed, world history does tell us that after the sudden death of Alexander, the kingdoms divided among four generals Ptolemy, Seleucus, Lys- Lysimachus, and Cassander. When you guys hear Ptolemy, you can think of the Ptolemaic Empire, which is Egypt to the south. And the Seleucid dynasty is Syria to the north. Now, if you ever get a chance to take a trip to Israel and you get a guide that wants to tell you about the history of the land, they will tell you that here's what happened. Because Israel was in between Syria to the north and Egypt to the south, and there's this strip of land here, uh, oftentimes Syria would be at war with Egypt. And so because Israel was in between two warring factions or At this point, you could say warring generals. War would invade the land of Israel, not because they always wanted it, but because they were in between two enemies. You could say they were in between a rock and a hard place. And when you study Isaiah and some of the other Old Testament books, you'll find that Israel often found itself in a situation where it didn't know who to give its allegiance to. Should we side with Egypt? Should we side with Syria? We don't know. And so there were Jews that went both ways. Some sided with Egypt, the Ptolemaic Empire, because they had more freedom to practice their religion. Some sided with the Syrian Empire, which was an offshoot of the Grecian Empire, which was Hellenistic, which was anti-Jewish. In other words, you would be less free to practice your religion if you embraced the Seleucid way or the Grecian way, because you would be embracing Hellenism or Western ideas, if you will. And by virtue of that, you'd be more restricted in practicing your religion. Antiochus Epiphanes, because he came from this, Antiochus Epiphanes, because he came from the Hellenistic backdrop, uh, decided that he was going to push Hellenistic ways. And the people of Israel found themselves right in the middle. The little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. He rules from... 175 to 164. He surnamed himself Epiphanes, which means God manifests. We have found this on coins in the ancient world that have actually been discovered that this is what he called himself. But his enemies called him Epimenes, which means Antiochus the madman. And he was mad. In fact, he, he went mad and died in 163 in Syria and he went cuckoo. Uh, but let me tell you a little about, about what he, what he was about. He was one of the cruelest rulers of all time. Like his father, Antichus III the Great, he was enterprising and ambitious, but he was cruel. A conflict uh, is recorded in the book of 2nd Maccabees. Now, those of you who know that there's extra books in the Catholic Bible, there's 1st and 2nd Maccabees in the Catholic Bible. Those are not canonical books. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? I mean, they're not part of the canon of Scripture, but they are historical books. In the case of First and Second Maccabees, they give accurate history, but are non-canonical. What do you mean? I mean, they're not part of the canon. They're not inspired books, but they are still valuable for their historical content. Everybody with me? The story of this time period the intertestamental time period, but from the time of Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi, to the time of Matthew, what do we have in between? About 400 years, right? We call it the intertestamental period. This is what we're talking about, that period, that 400 years. And within that period, the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, among others, were written to record what happened during this time. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface, It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption, as Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. And we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.